0: Welcome to the SMC 2022 podcast. 2,000 years ago, Jesus gave an invitation that changed the world. Come, follow me. Today, we have the same invitation. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Bongs and Bibles. Uh, my name is Matt Pace, uh, and I've been working with Stumo, Student Mobilization, for 18 years now. Um, I currently work at Missouri State University, the campus director there and i am so excited to talk about our topic today specifically we're going to talk about alcohol And, and and we're going to talk about what does it look like to have a healthy relationship with god and to live in a world with alcohol how do those things mix together what does god say about it what does god think about it now I want to start off with a little bit of a disclaimer. As we go through this breakout, I may say something that you don't like. I may say something that you don't agree with. I, I may say something that might be confusing. Here's what I want to ask you to do. Please, write it down. Okay, Don't, don't tune me out. The, the, I will leave some opportunity for Q&A and, and give me an opportunity to explain. I mean, there, there's so much to talk about on this topic. It is a big topic. And if I say something that doesn't match with you, write it down and we'll talk about it later. Now, for those of you that are listening online, uh, I don't know, you can email me. Sorry about that. And so, uh, for everybody here, write it down and I'll leave some uh, time for us to do a little Q&A at the end. I'm really excited about this topic. Now, we're going to hit this topic in three different three different main Categories. The first thing that we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about direct references to alcohol in the Bible. When the Bible talks about alcohol, we're going to talk about them, um, every one of them. Well, we're not going about all of them, but we're going to talk about um, we're we're going to address all of them. The second thing that we're going to do is we're going to talk about alcohol and specifically the life of Jesus. Uh, we have four books that are written about the life of Jesus: Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're going to look at how Jesus interacted with alcohol while he was on earth. And the third thing that we're going to do is we're going to talk about some biblical principles that relate to alcohol. And and it's in this third section that we'll get a little bit more practical, specific. And we're going to talk about ways and um, different ways that we can live with alcohol and have a relationship with God. And so let's go to this first one. Okay, the first one is this. We're going to hit direct references to alcohol in the Bible. To start off with, did you know that there are 247 references to alcohol in the Bible? 247. 228 of them talk are talking about wine. 19 of them are talking about strong drink. And so majority of the time when the Bible talks about alcohol, it's talking about wine. But there are times, you know, even in biblical times, they had this idea of Not just wine, but also strong drink. There was a difference there between wine and strong drink. But 228 of the 247 had to do with wine. Let's talk about a few of these passages that talk about wine and strong drink. And and I want us to just get a feel of really what the Bible, how the Bible talks about alcohol as we look at these 247 passages. We're not going to look at all of them. We're going to sample some of them right now. And then at the end, I'll give you a, a chart that just summarizes all 247 of them. Let's go to Deuteronomy 14, 22 through 26. I, I bet you've never read this passage on alcohol. Here's what God says. Deuteronomy 14, 22. You shall tithe. If the way is too long... Turn your tithe into money and spend the money for whatever you desire. Oxen, sheep, or wine, or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves. And you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. Now, let me give that to you paraphrased. Here's what God is saying. If you don't agree with my paraphrase, Look at the passage, Deuteronomy 14, 22 through 26. Here's what God says. One of the ways to worship me, here's what you do. When you get paid, I want you to buy whatever type of meal you want. Get steak, shrimp, beer, margaritas, whatever you're feeling. And I want you to have a big family dinner to rejoice in thanks and gratitude to God. Isn't that interesting? Here's a passage in the Bible where God says, here's a way to worship me. Go buy some beer with your family and maybe even a margarita. Have a nice meal and rejoice and say thanks to God. Interesting passage. How about this one? Uh, Psalm 104, 14 through 15. You, God, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. Here it is paraphrased. God gave us wine to lighten the mood, to gladden our hearts. Ecclesiastes ten nineteen: bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life. And money answers everything. And and so there's something about wine. that When when God talks about wine, there's something about it to where he's acknowledging it. It it gladdens life. It lightens the mood. It it makes life a little easier. Now, contrast. Let's look at Leviticus 10.9. It says this. Drink no wine or strong drink. You or your son's with you. And he's talking to the priests. When you go into the tent of meeting, or else you will die. This will be a statute forever throughout your generations. And, and, and that one, it's very strict. Here's another one, Ezekiel 44, 21. No priest mm-hmm. is to drink wine when he enters the inner court. Like when he enters the inner areas of the temple. And one of the things that we're going to see as we look at these 247 verses, consistently you're going to see this idea that in times of celebration, alcohol is good, but but when we get to times of seriousness, there should be no alcohol, and and even our culture gets that. I mean, we got this. We have this idea of when you're at work, you should not drink alcohol. I mean, most, almost every employer, if you show up to work with alcohol, you will be fired. It. it, it it's not even de- very. De- it's not even that debated in our culture, but we know this: when it's a time to celebrate, when it's a wedding, almost all weddings have some form of alcohol there because it's a time of celebration. Celebration, yes. Seriousness, no. When a priest is going to talk to God about the sins of the people, that's not a good time to be drinking alcohol that's a time for seriousness let's look at another passage proverbs 23 29 through 35 this is talking about the life of someone who drinks alcohol and now here's what's interesting this was written three thousand years ago how much when you read this does this seem like it's talking about is it does it have similarities to today or is it extremely different? Here's what it says. Proverbs 23, 29 through 35. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? Those who linger over wine and who go to sample bowls of mixed wine. It says this. Do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly, Because in the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Anyone ever been hungover? Yeah, 3,000 years ago, they knew the bite of the snake and the poison of the viper of drinking a little too much alcohol. It says that it continues, your eyes will see strange sights. Your mind will imagine confusing things. Anyone anyone ever drink so much that you see things and that you imagine things? You get confused. It says this, you will be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the rigging. Have you ever lost your balance because of alcohol? Have you ever felt like you're on a ship swaying back and forth? The passage says, they hit me, you will say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me but I don't feel it. When will I wake up so I can find another drink? The idea of the endlessness of more alcohol. As soon as you have a a night of drinking and as soon as you wake up, you're ready for more. 3,000 years ago and today, there's a lot of similarities. How about these? uh, Isaiah 5, 11. Woe to those who rise early in the morning to run after their drinks, who stay up late at night Till they're inflamed with wine or about this one Isaiah 5 woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men at mixing strong drink I I, I love that one because you know even 3000 or this was about 2800 years ago they had this idea of heroes of wine you know like the valiant men the brave men at mixing strong drinks you know it seems like every culture, you've got those guys who are just, you know, the ones who can really drink or the ones who can really handle a lot, the heroes of drinking wine. Now, the Bible says, woe to those people, but still those characters are around today, the same as they were 2,800 years ago. Uh, Zephaniah, now this is this was a common one. Uh, as you look at this passage here, this was a common uh, way that God talked about alcohol their wealth, and he's talking about some judgments from God, their wealth will be plundered, their houses demolished. They'll build houses, but they will not live in them. They will plant vineyards, but they will not drink the wine. You see, in this passage, it is a curse from God to plant vineyards, but not get to drink the wine. You see, Even by God calling it a curse, it's almost like God is calling wine good by by calling it a part of the curse that you will not get to drink wine. So the way that God talks about wine, when he talks about it being a curse, taking it away, he's saying that it's good. How about in Ephesians 5.18? Pretty clear. This one's easy. It's a pretty clear command. Do not get drunk on wine. It leads to debauchery. Instead, you should be filled with the Spirit. Pretty clear. Towards the end of the Bible, you start getting these passages where they're talking about spiritual leadership of churches. Um, And they're going to talk about overseers. They're going to talk about deacons. They're going to talk about older female leadership. And and, and they're going to talk about some of the characteristics. And, And I've highlighted one of the common characteristics. See if you can see it. First Timothy 3, 2-3. Now the overseer, he's to be above reproach, not given to drunkenness. How about in 1 Timothy 3, 8? For deacons, which are different than overseers, in the same way deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain. How about in Titus 1, 7? An overseer, Must be blameless, not given to drunkenness. Uh, Or how about older women? They're to be reverent in the the way they live, not slanderous. Or addicted to much wine. They're to teach what is good. There's all these passages when it's talking about spiritual leadership. Stay away from drunkenness. Don't be addicted to much wine. Don't let that be a characteristic of who you are. 1 Peter 4.3. Notice this passage. You have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. Pagans are people that, that don't believe in God. They don't live a life that has anything to do with God. And he says, in 1 Peter, he's saying, you've spent enough time doing this, those things. What kind of things? Well, living in debauchery, lust, orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry. And one more, drunkenness. Right? Drunkenness is part of the lifestyle of a pagan, someone who does not have a relationship with God. Galatians 5 19 through 21 this one's pretty clear the acts of the flesh or the acts of a sinful lifestyle they're obvious okay obvious sexual morality impurity debauchery idolatry witchcraft hatred discord jealousy fits of rage selfish ambition dissensions factions envy drunkenness orgies and the like i warn you okay this is a warning from paul as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Drunkenness is one of those things that, the you know, over and over again, it talks about drunkenness. Drunkenness is not good. Drunkenness is excess. That one is bad when it comes to alcohol. Uh, we're going to end on a positive note. Isaiah 25, 6. God says this, on this mountain. The Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples. It will be a banquet of aged wine. We'll have the best of meats and the finest of wines. God says, one day, here's what I'm going to do. Is I, I am going to create the best meal for you. And it's going to be awesome. All people are going to join there. We're going to have the best best meats and the finest of wines. I mean, could you imagine being there at this banquet and asking the server to come over, uh, server, um, you know, here's the thing. I actually don't drink alcohol. Do you think I could have a cup of water? Right? Right. That that's not going to happen. Okay. God prepares the best of meats and the finest of wines for us. And he wants us to know that. So 247 references to alcohol. Now, 145 of those references are positive when it comes to alcohol. 60% of them. 40 of them, or 16%, are negative references to alcohol. And 62 or 25% of them are just neutral. Like, it's not really saying a good or bad thing about alcohol. It's just mentioning alcohol. Here's the biggest thing that I want you to take away. 145 of the 247 references... 59% of them are positive when it comes to alcohol. Here's a list um, of all of them specifically uh, and and, uh, and kind of categorized. uh, For those of you listening online, maybe I can get this uh, picture to you. Um, Let me give you a website uh, and I'll say it and then I'll also spell it out for you. Uh, This has every passage listed out and you can look at them and how they were, uh, I didn't create the list, um, I just kind of found it, uh, and so uh, here, here it is, I'm going to say it, and then I'll spell it for you, but it's uh, drbacchus.com backslash Bible backslash alcohol R, uh, alcohol with an R at the end, dot HTML, so here's how you spell it, uh, drbacchus.com, D-R-B-A-C-C-H-U-S dot com backslash Bible, B-I-B-L-E, backslash Alcohol R A L C O H O L R dot html. And that has all 247 references, and they've actually got them listed in King James and NIV, so very simple. You can kind of scroll through that. But, but let me give you in summation, the direct references in summation. Alcohol is a gift that God gives us, That lightens the mood. And I think we all innately understand that. I think we all agree with that. We get it. Number two, alcohol should not be used in serious matters. When the priest is going to talk to God about sin, he should not have alcohol or he will die. And and I think we get it. You should not go to work with alcohol or you will get fired. We even get that today. Number three, alcohol should not be abused with excess use. Drunkenness is the most common thing that we know about alcohol in the Bible. God is very clear. No, not drunkenness. Number four, and we see this a lot, spiritual leadership brings a little bit more scrutiny with alcohol. And so I think those are the four things that we can summarize. Uh, Let me give you some time for discussion. So someone next to you, here's, here's what I want you to do. Number one. Here's three questions. Number one, are you surprised that the Bible speaks more positively about alcohol than negatively? Number two, picture this. Or maybe the question is, can you picture yourself drinking a nice wine with Jesus? If he was physically here or even when you get to heaven, Like, can you see yourself drinking a wine with Jesus? Number three, why do you think Christians today often speak more negatively of alcohol than God does? Take some time and discuss those three things. Okay, so we, we've talked about the direct references to alcohol in the Bible and now we're going to look at the life of Jesus and alcohol and and there's really three main section or three main, uh instances that we're going to talk about in the scriptures and and the first one is going to be at the beginning of Jesus's uh recorded life uh it's in john chapter 2 verses 1 through 12. Uh, and Jesus goes to a wedding this is the wedding at cana he goes to a wedding and while he's at the he's at the wedding um you know uh people are drinking wine um and 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 it ends up that they they're the either they drank so much wine or there just wasn't enough wine provided but however it happened the wedding ran out of wine and, and and in those times when a wedding ran out of wine it's like you're not providing for your guests it's an embarrassment for the family uh, it, it it's it, it's a huge embarrassment and, and it's not like you could just go to the store and go get more immediately it's just th- this was a bad thing and they they ran out of wine and Jesus' mom came up to Jesus um, and said, hey, can you help out? Can you do something? Well, first of all, I want to say this. Jesus was at the wedding. And and these weddings, they were for a few days. It wasn't just like ours today is a few hours, but usually weddings were a few days. And Jesus remained at the wedding, even though people drank. And so we look at Jesus' life. It's not like he was like, man, they're drinking alcohol there i'm not going to be there jesus was at the wedding he remained at the wedding and 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 the people drink all of the current wine and so it th- this was more than just a toast it's not like hey raise your glass to the bride and groom and then they ran out okay it, it, there was a little bit more drinking going on than that when mary when when, when jesus's mom asked him jesus said yeah I to go, and he told him to go do a thing, a few things, and then it ended up Jesus, he made an extra hundred and twenty to hundred and eighty gap more gallons of wine, when all of the previous wine had been drunk. And so, think about that: Jesus made an extra hundred and twenty to hundred and eighty more gallons of wine. Now, just to make sure, I, I don't think they drank the extra 120 to 180. I think what Jesus did was he made so much more that the, uh, you know, the, the husband and or the, the mom and dad of the bride and groom, they could, or even the bride and groom, they could go and they could sell the extra wine. And all of a sudden they're in a much better position than before the wedding began. But still, it's, you know, Jesus was there. And then when he was asked, he provided more wine. And so it would have been very easy for him not to attend the wedding if he was totally averse to alcohol. And it would have been much easier for him to not do something miraculous to create more wine. And so the wedding of Cana, you you know, that's one interaction we see with Jesus and alcohol. Let's look at another one in Luke chapter 7, verse 33 and 34. Now, Jesus is... Uh, he, he's he's kind of talking negatively about the Pharisees. And basically he's saying of the Pharisees, hey guys, there's nothing that can be done to please you guys. And then he, he, he contrasts, Jesus contrasts himself with John the Baptist. And here's what he says about John the Baptist. Hey, John the Baptist, he didn't eat bread and he didn't drink wine. And you Pharisees say that John the Baptist has a demon. And so, John the Baptist didn't eat bread, but more importantly he didn't drink wine. So John the Baptist did not drink wine. This is in Luke 7:33-34. But then Jesus talks about himself and he says, "And the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Pharisees, look at look at Jesus. He's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners." Now, Jesus, if you look at this passage, Jesus does not specifically directly say, I drink wine. So there is some wiggle room there, but by the contrast, he says, John the Baptist did not drink wine. I drink and you call me a drunkard. I think from that, even though I think there's some still wiggle room, and if you say there's no way Jesus drank, I I look at that and I go, I think Jesus is saying, listen, John the Baptist didn't drink. I drink. You call me a drunkard. You say he is a demon. Like, you guys just want – you're not happy no matter what. I look at this, and I think Jesus says, hey, yes, I I drink. I I like – I drink wine. I'm I'm not – it's just a normal part of life. Let's look at one more. <clears throat> so yeah, let me. So in that second part, I'm saying this: Do I think Jesus drank wine uh, while he was on Earth? Yes, I do. I, I think it was a very normal part of their life. It wasn't as big of a thing as it is today. He just drank wine. Third thought, third thought is this: If we look at the you know when Jesus was dying, he instituted the Lord's Supper, Communion, uh, the Eucharist. There's a lot of things you could call it, but Uh, he instituted this practice and said, I want you to always do this. Now, in Matthew 26, 27, Mark 14, 23, Luke 22, 17, now, it never uses the word wine, but it says that Jesus took the cup. And, And during Passover, which is what they were celebrating, that cup that Jesus took always had wine in it. It says that Jesus took the cup, he drank it, and he told his disciples, you are to always drink this in remembrance of me. Jesus, you know, and it was to remind us of the blood that was shed, the new covenant that was coming. But here's the thing. Uh, it's like Jesus made wine as a foundation of an ongoing ritual for Christians. It. It doesn't make sense if Jesus was anti-alcohol to put wine in an ongoing ritual for Christians. Now, many of you who maybe come from um, a specific, you know, specific denominations, you go, "Well, when I took communion, it was grape juice." Well, you know, some do grape juice, some do wine, you know. But in that time, it was wine; it was not grape juice. And so, um, you know. It's just different. I get, you know, some, some denominations do it differently now. But it still remains. Jesus made wine as a part of an ongoing ritual for Christians. So, Jesus and alcohol, a summation. Here, here's a few things. Number one, Jesus provided wine to a family during their celebration. Right? He provided wine. He He remained at the wedding while they were drinking. Number two, Jesus indirectly... Not directly, but he indirectly claimed to drink wine himself. The third thing is, is Jesus commanded his followers to drink wine as an ongoing ritual. And so those are a few things we see from Jesus in just those three instances. So here's a discussion for you. Number one, what do you think? Do you think Jesus regularly drank wine? You know, I mean, was it just part of his life? He drank wine. Number two, here's a question do you think jesus would provide more alcohol if the weekly fraternity party ran out of beer right i mean what do you think about that like what would jesus do in that situation number three do you think the alcoholic content of beverages then were the same as now or do you think there's possibly some differences here's three different three discussion questions Okay, so now we've talked about direct scripture references to wine and alcohol and strong drink, and 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 we've talked about Jesus and some instances that he was involved with alcohol. The third thing I want us to do now is, uh, I just want us to talk about some biblical principles that relate to alcohol. What is a principle? Well, a principle um, is just, it's a fundamental truth or proposition that serves as the foundation for a system of belief or behavior or for a chain of reasoning. A principle is maybe simply a, a truth that helps define the way that you behave. And that's what I'm going to talk about in a little bit, because there's a lot of things in our life that maybe there's not a clear rule to. And so we've got to use principles. Let's, we could talk about money. Should you save money for retirement in the stock market? Well, the Bible doesn't say anything clearly about that. You've got to use some principles. What about dating? Should I date or should I not date? Well, the Bible, there was no idea of dating 2,000 years ago. They didn't talk about dating. What about dancing? Should I dance? Like two-stepping? Or like what kind of dancing is okay? Um, What about painkillers. Should I use painkillers or not use painkillers? Or what about social media? Should I be, how how many, how much time each day should I spend? Should I be on Instagram or TikTok? Or is one better or worse? Well, you've got to use biblical principles on these. Or what about the metaverse? Like, should I be involved in the metaverse or not in the metaverse? I don't know. We don't even know because we're not there yet. So, When we use these principles, here's the thing that I want us to be thinking about. When it comes to alcohol specifically, we can abstain or not drink, or we can partake or drink. And and, and when we drink or not drink, we can do it in an immature way or a mature way. And And I'll define a mature way as a way that is guided by biblical principles and laws And so, there's really four types of person that you can be when it comes to alcohol. You can be an immature abstainer or a mature abstainer. You can be an immature partaker or a mature partaker. My goal for this workshop, and when we get into these practicals at the end, I want to move you from immaturity to maturity. I want you to be, if you're an abstainer, I want you to be a mature abstainer. If you're a partaker, I want you to become a mature partaker. I want to move you towards maturity guided by biblical principles and laws. I want you to be an abstainer or a partaker maturely and have a healthy relationship with God. And that can be done. For full disclosure, I put myself on as, as a mature partaker. I do partake of alcohol. I, I think I... I or, I do it in a way that follows biblical principles and laws. I also think Jesus was a mature partaker when he was here on earth. Now, to warm us up in this, here's what I want us to do. Here's a discussion real quick. I want us to take a topic like desserts. Okay, Now, the Bible doesn't really talk about should you eat desserts or should you not eat desserts. Okay, So really, you've got a choice. Do you abstain or do you partake? What would each one of these four quadrants look like when it comes to desserts? Talk with someone next to you about what an immature or mature non-deserter or an immature immature mature deserter would look like, those four. Yes, good discussion. Okay, and, and, and we could do this with a lot of topics. You know, when it comes to painkillers, what does a mature taker of painkillers look like? What does an immature taker of painkillers. Or we could talk about dancing. You know, w- you know, back to the, the, the whole movie of Footloose was about immature non-dancers. They didn't dance and they wanted to make sure nobody, the whole city didn't dance, right? Um, we could talk about sex. We could talk about dating. We could talk about social media. Um, but today we're going to talk about alcohol and we're going to talk about those four quadrants. What does it look like to be an immature abstainer, a mature abstainer, an immature partaker or a mature partaker, wherever you are, I want to move you into maturity. We're going to look at some passages. We're going to get some of these principles. Number one, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever you, so whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. If you're going to be a mature partaker in, with alcohol, you need to drink alcohol for the glory of God. The way that you drink it, it needs to be done for the glory of God. And so that's what maturity is going to look like when you partake. We've got a lot more passages. Let's look at Galatians 5, 19 through 21. This is one of them, but we've already gone over plenty of them. Notice that The acts of the flesh, the acts of sinful nature are obvious. Drunkenness is on that list. An immature partaker is one who drinks alcohol in excess and is characterized by drunkenness. Drunkenness is a sin. It's clear in this passage, and there are so many more. We, 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 We looked at a lot of them. Go look at the 247. There's a lot that talk about this. Drunkenness is a sin. You can't have a healthy relationship with God and you're participating in drunkenness. You're using alcohol in excess that's as clear as it gets right There's too many verses to list all of them. That's just one that one's super clear. Let's look at Jeremiah 2:13. here's another principle. God says this, My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water. They've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Uh, for those of you who are listening online, I've got a picture here. God pictures himself as a spring of living water. And he says that we're supposed to come to him for life. We're supposed to come to him with, with our pain, with, with our joys, with our stress, with... With everything that's going on to our life, we're, to, we're we're supposed to go to God. He is our water that we need daily, and we need multiple times throughout the day. But God says, my people have committed two sins. One, they've forsaken me. Okay, They've refused to come to me as the fountain of living water. And he says, instead, they've dug their own cisterns. A cistern is just an uh, in, in old ancient way of holding water. Uh, it might just be a hole that you dug in the backyard that collects rainwater. Um, it, it's, it's the idea of the water in a cistern is much dirtier contrasted with a fountain. Uh, if we were to use today's terms, God says, hey, listen, I am Fiji bottled water. And he says, what you're doing is you're going to and you're drinking pond water. And God says not only that, but they're broken cisterns. So they're not even holding the water as they were. It's a, it's a leaking, it's not only pond water, but it's a leaking container of pond water. And God says that when we go to, you know, when we create these things, alcohol can be one of those things. It can be a cistern in our life to where instead of going to God with our life, we go to alcohol. So when we get stressed, we go to alcohol. When we have difficulties, we go to alcohol. When we have a tough conversation with a uh, guy or a girl, we go to alcohol. When we get a bad test grade, alcohol. And, and it's funny, even even contrast, when things go good, we go to alcohol. When something goes well in our life, we go to alcohol. It becomes a system in our life. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, yeah, but I thought you said God gave us wine, to lighten the mood, to gladden the heart. Yes, he did. But, but there, there's a line of when we love the gift more than the giver, right? God gives us alcohol to gladden our heart and celebrate life with him. And and, and when you use alcohol as a cistern, you're not going to alcohol With God, you're going to alcohol without God. And you're using alcohol and forgetting the giver. Now, Galatians 6, 7 through 8, uh, I I, want to highlight this. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. It says this, a man reaps what he sows. If you sow to please your flesh, from your flesh you will reap destruction. If you make it a lifestyle that every time life is tough you go to alcohol. Every time life gets difficult, you go to alcohol. You are sowing a lifestyle. You are sowing a habit. And when you get older, okay, you're in your, you're right now, I'm talking to college students. You're in the most formative times of your life. If you build it as the habit of your life, that whenever life gets difficult, you go to alcohol. You're not going to learn. You will not learn how to handle the more difficult aspects of life, the older you get because you've never learned it now. And you've you've sowed an action and you've now reaped a lifestyle if you're not careful. God is not mocked, you reap what you sow. And so an immature partaker uses alcohol as a cistern in their life. That's a principle. Let's look at another principle. Mark 10, 21, it tells the story of A a, a rich young man who comes to Jesus and says how do I get to heaven what do I gotta do and and Jesus has a longer conversation with him but he gets to the end and he says this Jesus looked at the man he loved him and said there's one thing you lack go sell everything you have give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and then come follow me and the next passage it says At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Here's another principle. There are a lot of people that alcohol is the one thing that's more important to you than your relationship with God. And I don't say that to everybody because we've already looked at plenty of passages. Alcohol is not, God doesn't think alcohol is a bad thing in the same way that, God doesn't think money is a bad thing. He doesn't think rich people are bad people. But if money is more important to you than your relationship with God, you need to give it up. I think there are a lot of college students, and I think there's a lot of people in this room right now, that if Jesus were to say to you, give up your alcohol and be in relationship with me, I think Mark 10.22, substituted, would read like this. At this, the college student's face fell, and he went away sad, and he walked away from Jesus because he loved to drink. You are an immature partaker if alcohol is the one thing that's more important to you than your relationship with God. And we've all got one thing. There's almost always... For all of us at one time, there's one thing that's kept you away from God. And a lot of people, it's alcohol. Let's look at another principle. 1 Corinthians 6.12, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. If alcohol masters you, you're an immature partaker. And also note this. To be a mar- mature partaker, you can't be mastered by alcohol. If you always need alcohol, if you need it weekly, if you, if you can't go through a weekend without alcohol, you're mastered by it. Most young people have not become alcoholics yet. But no alcoholic plans to be an alcoholic. Alcohol An alcoholic would be the definition of someone who's mastered by alcohol. But I would also say this. If you can't go to your friend group and have a good time without alcohol, you are mastered by alcohol. It is your master. It controls you. It dictates your life. You've got to break it. You've got to go to some parties without without alcohol and see if you can do it. Romans 14. Now, Romans 14 talks about this idea of alcohol and just that There's no black and white, whether you should drink or not drink. And and it deals with this topic. And here's what it says, 14.3. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Now, in this passage, they're talking about food. But let me substitute it and let me talk about alcohol. This is what it would look like. The one who drinks alcohol must not treat with contempt the one who does not drink alcohol. And the one who does not drink alcohol must not judge the one who does because God has accepted them. Let me look at it one more time. The one who drinks alcohol must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And vice versa. The one who does not drink alcohol must not judge the one who does. In the Christian world, I think we have way too much judgment when it comes to alcohol. You are an immature, and I've put one on all four of them. You are an immature abstainer if you look negatively on mature partakers. If you want to be a mature abstainer, you've got to look positively on mature partakers. If you want to be a mature partaker, you've got to look positive on mature abstainers. Maturity means you're okay with other people, whether they drink or not drink, right? Here's another one on Romans 14, 14. If anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. Here's what it would look like substituted. If anyone thinks alcohol is sinful, then for that person, alcohol is sinful. It's pretty clear. So you are an immature partaker if you drink alcohol Even though your conscience, in your thought, in your mind, you think it is wrong. And so a mature abstainer, it's possible that you're a mature abstainer. You abstain because you just think it's sinful for you to drink alcohol. If if you feel like alcohol is wrong, you should just abstain from it and just don't drink it. That is what a mature abstainer would look like. Here's a passage that has to do with mature partaking, and this is one of the most complicated ones. It says this, Romans 14, 15. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love or drink. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Uh, Let me substitute it. If your brother or sister is distressed because of your drinking alcohol, you're no longer acting in love. Do not buy your drinking alcohol. Destroy someone for whom Christ died. To be a mature partaker, you do not drink if you're around people that would be distressed and destroyed by it. This is a complicated one. And 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 one that when I when I partake of alcohol, I'm, I'm very mindful of. You're never gonna see me drinking alcohol. I, I would never drink alcohol at a fraternity party, even though I'm 40 years old. Uh, if I was invited, if I was even invited to one, um, because by my drinking, it's like I'm encouraging. There, there there could be younger people that are just not sure what to do. And they say, me, I, I have this title of a spiritual leader. I've got to be very careful of what alcohol and my partaking looks like and the people that I'm around. Now, I don't think that this applies to just every person in the world, but I do think it has to do with people that you're connected to, that that see your life, that know you that are making judgments about what you're doing. I try to be very careful about this and I'm not trying to distress anyone and I'm not trying to destroy anyone by me using and claiming my rights to drink. And so uh, this one, you could have a lot of questions about it. We can take some more questions about it, but for the most part, you shouldn't drink if you know that you're distressing someone and you're destroying someone. That's part of being a mature partaker. You should study Romans chapter 14. It has a lot to say about this. Last one we're going to talk about is Romans 13.1. We all know this one, but I'll talk about it last. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. There is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that have, that exist have been established by God. And I'm just going to hit on underage drinking there. If you are under 21 and you're drinking, you're an immature partaker. All right. And, um, and that one just falls into this. Now I use that one last because people people often get caught up on underage drinking and they start protesting. Well, but that's a man made law, and I obey God. And you know, I would even stop them there, and I'm like, Yeah, but so you're telling me that how you drink, you're doing it by the for the glory of God. It's not drunkenness. It's not a cistern it's not the one thing in your life. It's not mastering you. Um, and you don't think it's wrong. Like, I mean, it, the only thing is, is it's underage. I, I, that's not true of the majority of people. They just, they just hesitate at that one. And so I put that one last. I won't even talk to you about underage drinking. I'm going to talk to you about drunkenness, cisterns, well, the one thing, whether it masters you. Um, I'm gonna talk about just in general. Do you think it's wrong? And I'm gonna ask, are you drinking for the glory of God? Like uh, are you are you doing it with God or are you doing it, are you worshiping the gift over the giver? And so I talk about that one very last, but still I put it over there. Underage drinking is part of immature, an immature partaker. So let me end this section this way, and I'm gonna say this. When it comes to alcohol. You have the choice to abstain or partake. Scripture doesn't make a definitive gesture about if alcohol is good or bad. It's just alcohol is neutral. It can be used for bad. It can be used for good. So we have a choice in our behavior. Do we abstain or do we partake? And you can abstain or you can partake either in an immature way or a mature way. And I define maturity If you're doing it in a way that lines up with biblical principles and laws, you have a choice. You fall into one of four boxes. You're either an immature abstainer, a mature abstainer, an immature partaker, or a mature partaker. My goal and my hope is to push you towards maturity, whether you abstain or whether you partake. I'm going to give some time now for some questions. If you, if any of you have questions, I would love to take some questions now. Excellent. Now, for for those of you that may be listening just online, um, I'll I'll try to put my email address. Uh, you you can email me questions. I, I would be fine taking some of those, and I can I can uh, answer those for you in case there's something I said that you're just like, man, I need more info. I need more context. Uh, I know we had some good uh, good questions that we kind of went over here in the room, and so. Let me give you a few concluding thoughts. Number one, the goal that I'm trying to push you towards is a healthy relationship with Jesus and alcohol. Whether you abstain or whether you partake is for you to decide. I want you to have a healthy relationship with Jesus and with alcohol. Alcohol is not going anywhere. Jesus, he's not going anywhere. We got to live with both of them in this world. I want to acknowledge this. And let's be honest about this. The vast majority of what happens on the weekend in college is immature partaking. Okay? It is immature partaking. Even if I just threw out, let's not even talk about underage drinking. Let's look at this list. Most of what happens, it has to do with drunkenness. It has to do with cisterns you're going to alcohol to alleviate pain, stress, worry. you're going to alcohol to make you f- yourself feel good excluding god. it has nothing to do with god. you're taking the gift that the giver gave you and you're excluding the giver. most of what happens on the weekend it's something that you're doing that you would not trade right now for a relationship with God. It, it it's one thing that if God says give it up, you'd say, I just can't do it. Four, I think there's a lot of you, I, I think there's a lot of you out there that alcohol and, and what happens on the weekend, it's a mastering of you. You can't even think of what it would be like to go to a party with your friends without alcohol. And I think some people, they're at a party on a Thursday, on a Friday, on a Saturday, and they know it's wrong to drink, but they're just drinking a little bit to fit in. It's immature partaking. Here's one thing that I want to challenge. Most immature partakers, you need to spend some time as a mature abstainer. I think before you move into, I'm not saying, if you're an immature partaker, I'm not saying that you need to give up alcohol for the rest of your life and become forever an abstainer. But I think, and I want to challenge you with, you need to move to a mature abstainer. You need to learn to live life without the gift of alcohol, without the the thing that God has given you to live life, learn to live life with God without alcohol. And then once that relationship is secure together, invite alcohol back into the relationship and, and become a mature partaker. Or you might just find, I mean, look at the list we have up here. It's way more complicated to be, a partaker than it is an abstainer. Ab- abstaining is, is easy. All right? It's very simple. You just abstain. All right. And, and think positively of people that partake. It's pretty easy to do. But my challenge would be if you're an immature partaker, you've probably built a little bit of a lifestyle to where you just need to learn to live life without it before you invite it back into your relationship with God. And the fourth thing is this, I want to say this. Some people grow up in a denominational background or a church background or a Christian background where alcohol and the devil are the same or alcohol and sin are the same. I would just say this. If you're an immature abstainer, you need to realize that people can have a healthy relationship with Jesus and partake of alcohol at the same time. Hey, it has been a joy to sit here and talk to you for the last hour about alcohol and the Bible. Uh, this is the conclusion of Beer Bongs and Bibles. Uh, my name is Matt Pace. and. Again, if you've got any questions, if you've got anything else you want to talk, uh, my email uh, is at matt.pace at stumo.org. And you can email me any questions uh, and hopefully I'll have them uh, in the comments below. And so thanks so much for listening.